knowing stuff is de facto good, not just because it's enjoyable, not just because man by nature desires to know, but because it allows better thinking. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So if you're just joining us in part two of thinking and really just don't have time to go back to part one, let me first of all encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was very thought provoking. But also just give you a quick recap. We talked last time about listening, speaking, reading, writing, and Andrew, you called thinking the quintessence of language arts. Because the thinking is the stuff from which everything else is made. Right. We can't listen properly if we're not thinking what we're listening to. And thought precedes having something to listen to. Right. And reading is the same idea. You can't, even though listening and reading is a little bit more passive than speaking and writing, somebody is feeding you something when you're listening or when you're reading. But when you're speaking or writing, you have to come up with something of which to write about. And the way you do that is by asking yourself questions that you can then get the stuff out of your brain that was in there to begin with. How'd I do? I think it's a pretty good recap. Good. And you can't get something out of the mind, out of the brain, that isn't in there to begin with, which is why the storage of language and ideas is so much a prerequisite to good thinking skills later on. Right. I know that when you're teaching a group of students, you can tell right away if they're literate in that their parents are reading to them or that they're memorizing because of the quality of their writing. Absolutely. In fact, I've noticed that the more general knowledge that students have, the more able they are to come up with interesting things to say and write. Yes. And I was contemplating this recently only because there's a debate. It's it's kind of a shock that it is a debate in the world of education, but it indeed is. Is it worth having children memorize stuff? Uh, why do children have to learn dates and names and places when they can just ask their phone? Mm-hmm. So what's the value of knowing facts if you don't need to? And unfortunately, there's there are significant voices in the world of education that push technology and don't consider the consequences of making all information instantly available to students who then have no need to actually learn and remember and know things. When you're talking about this argument, I think, oh, the naysayers would say, but what if there's no internet? But it's much more than just not having access to the information Absolutely. Yeah. It's not as though, what do we do if the lights go out? It's more, what are we doing 
by minimizing the value of knowing things. Mm -hmm. And as we get into some of our content today, I think it will become more and more evident that knowing stuff is de facto good, not just because it's enjoyable, not just because man by nature desires to know, but because it allows better thinking. Great platform to start. So what? Are we, so what's this advanced thinking that we're talking about today? Well, we ended with the basic idea of asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I gave a little example of uh, the girl I met when teaching class in Hawaii who said, my mommy taught me how to know what to write. And you just ask yourself who, what, where, why, when, how. The six basic big questions. Kipling wrote that beautiful poem. Uh, he called them the six wise men, trusted servants who taught me everything I knew, everything I know. And then he makes the point that he gives them a break from nine to five each day because he's busy. But he knows a little person who keeps them continuously busy, <laughs> sending them on thousands of missions constantly. <laughs> so it is a natural human function to ask. Children continuously ask mm -hmm. questions. Uh, soon your grandchild will be um, beyond the point of babbling and <laughs> quickly into the question of, why and what and what are you doing and why that and how do you do that and how come and how come you can't play with me right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know you hear that a lot from your grandchildren. But that whole world of questions is something that has been thought about for a very, very long time. Some people are familiar with the term the pro mata, meaning the ancient rhetoric practice exercises. They may have read the term, but I don't think anyone actually knows how to say it. Well, and there's even debate about, <laughs> is it pro-gymnasmata, pro-gymnasmata, pro-gymnasmata? Uh, there's, you know, I suppose Greek pronunciation experts who would mm -hmm. have a stronger opinion. But essentially, man has been thinking about how to think better, how to write better, how to communicate better for a very, very long time. This is not a new subject. Mm -hmm. Somehow here in the 21st century America, <laughs> we're going to discover some new idea that no one's ever thought of before. Highly unlikely, especially as regards to the training of the language arts. So if we go way, way back, we end up where most people do when they go way, way back, and that would be with Aristotle who had a way of codifying and recording things and teaching them in a way that they could be recorded. And so a lot of what we might call refined or advanced thinking skills aren't new. They're very, very old. Uh, however, perhaps a little bit lost mm. on the modern student. Right. We hear the word rhetoric today, and for the most part, it has a negative connotation, yes. doesn't it? So if you hear in, in the news or re read on some blog or some article on a website or a magazine, rhetoric, it's usually, well, that's just rhetoric. Or that's rhetoric, meaning someone trying to persuade me of something that's wrong or evil, and they're manipulating me, and that's de facto bad. Mm -hmm. Whereas the real meaning of the word is, of course, the art, the, the third of the trivium, of the liberal arts, the art of persuasion. And is the art of persuasion bad? Mm. Um, I, I suppose you could make an argument for that, but it's already been hashed out. In fact, the early Christians had a little debate about whether Christians should study rhetoric mm. because it was powerful 
And so if you have rhetoric and you can persuade people, that has power. Is that dangerous? Is it de facto bad? Is it not? And the debate came out in favor of Christians should study rhetoric, not because persuading people is bad. Persuading people is a natural thing. And if you can persuade people of the truth, of what's right, of what's just, then that's good. It kind of boils down to the thing you hear, you know, today, guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? Okay, whether you agree with that statement or not, rhetoric doesn't harm people. People harm people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) same thing. Mm -hmm. So we who are in the world of teaching writing are kind of stuck with either we won't teach thinking skills, and then what do we do? It's all fluff, creativity, self-expression, let's just float around and finger paint, right? (laughs) Or do we teach thinking skills? And if we make that decision, we end up really with those who did before, and we can start with Aristotle. Okay. So what I uh, came up with is kind of a simpler way. If, If anyone wants to get into this in a lot more depth, it's very easy. You can just do a search for the common topics, hmm. common topics of Aristotle. And there's hundreds, maybe thousands of web pages that have extensive descriptions and examples and information about this. You could go so far as to actually read Aristotle's rhetoric. Right, of course. <laughs> yourself, although it's very, very deep mm-hmm. and dense. But what we've tried to do with our program, and, and I think we did this most clearly in the high school writing intensive right is take some of those ideas and present them in a way that was a little easier to understand a little easier to absorb and contemplate and use than perhaps some of the more complex language of aristotle and teach four basic thinking skills four basic thinking skills yes so these are loosely based on the common topics of Aristotle, we want to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> okay. And as I said, people who want to study this in greater depth, there's infinite resources available for that end. The first one is division. I kind of discovered this in the beginning of my teaching of students, the Creative Writing Unit 7, which now, of course, we call inventive writing. But that process, okay, you want to write about something. You know, name the thing. You want to write about your house, your mother, friendship, trees, the Apollo space program, pocket lint, you know, Mm -hmm. anything. One of the first things you have to be able to do to make progress is the skill of division. So what are the things about? What are the aspects of? What are the topics pertaining to that thing? And that's division. That's division. Because I remember you doing that with my kids well, that'd be about 20 years ago. And you just said, let's just brainstorm topics. Right, right. So you have one big thing, whatever it is, and you break that into smaller parts of that. And that allows you to think about that thing better. So we'll pick one of your most loved places and one of my most despised (laughs) places, Disneyland. Love it. Right. So write about Disneyland. Well, now, if you don't go through a process with a student they might start to start writing sentences. Disneyland is really fun. It is really fun because it is really cool and there's a lot of fun stuff and there's like 
awesome rides and fun stuff to do, and it's just really, really great. <laughs> okay, now where do you go from there, right? <laughs> You've had an emotional response to Disneyland, but that doesn't get you into it, mm-hmm. do you see? So before you ever write a sentence, what do you want to do? Look at Disneyland and break it into its parts. What are some of the elements, some of the aspects of, some of the topics pertaining to Disneyland? Well, the rides. Everybody, rides. of course, talks about the rides. Sure. Um, the the amazing plants. They take great care of the plants at Disneyland. I've never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the plants. The restaurants. Restaurants. The magic. Just how thoughtful everything is woven together that makes it... Can you a see magical the place. look of disgust on my face? Okay, yes. the magic. Uh, but don't forget about some of the horrible things, too. Well, it's crowded. Crowds, lines, stupid characters walking around all over the place. And if it's too windy, they can't shoot off the fireworks, which always makes us Disappointments. sad at the end of the day. And then there's the ultimate thing, small world. I love small world. Oh, okay. But na- now, what's interesting is um, we might approach this from different angles because we have a different attitude about being at Disneyland. However, now we've had not just Disneyland, but we see into Disneyland, which means now we could talk about, okay, the restaurants in particular, or the rides, or the lines, or the plants, which I'd have to go back and look again since I know (laughs) nothing about them, or the characters, or the little prison where they keep lost children, which I have personal experience with. I have too. (laughs) (laughs) Or the big castle, or the characters, Mm -hmm. or the history. So there's now so much more that we see than just our emotional reaction to Disneyland. Now, that's easy. It's, It's a complex thing with lots of parts to it. Take something a little more abstract. Friendship. What are some aspects, things about Topics pertaining to friendship. Right. So the need for friendship. Need. Um, qualities of a good friend. Good. Um, types of friendships, uh, things that a friend might have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, loyalty. Yeah. Good. Activities. Mm-hmm. Famous friendships. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. So now we've seen not just friendship, but we've seen into friendship. And so that seeing into the thing is allowing us to apprehend it, to understand it better than we did before we took that, Mm -hmm. what, 30 seconds Mm -hmm. to do that exercise. So when I teach the Unit 7 to parents and teachers, I'm always saying, you know, this is a teachable, trainable skill. You can take a group of kids, throw some semi-random concrete or abstract noun on the whiteboard and say you've got, you know, two minutes to list as many things about aspects of or topics pertaining to. And you're practicing the skill of division. I love that. I I love that exercise. I would love to know if any teachers listening have actually done that in their classroom. Well, maybe we'll we'll hear of it. Uh, I certainly have heard, you know, stories of teachers finding it very, very Mm -hmm. helpful. And it's something you could start at the beginning of the year and do it two, three, four, five times a week. And over the course of the year, students would get the hang of seeing into something. And that's the open door. Once you've got that, then it's almost all downhill from there. But if you can't do that, you're kind of dead in the water, which is why I think it's it's included in Aristotle's first common topic, which is definition. Okay. So, you know, what is the thing? What do you mean by that thing? What, is, what does it really mean? Where did it come from? But what are the aspects and things about? That seems to be the most useful, from my experience, in writing about 
something, whether it's a, a big important subject like the ethics of human cloning or a creative writing imaginary thing about aliens from planet Zook, right? Mm -hmm. So that first basic skill, division. Okay, now the next skill, I have termed it comparison. What is that thing like? Um, this is the second of the Aristotle's common topics under many systems, and it is something our minds naturally do, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So when you meet someone new, your mind will tell you, oh, that person is kind of like this other person that I remember. We just do that. Mm -hmm. It's a, a natural faculty of the human mind because it helps us understand and remember things better. Right. Can I give it a comparison example based sure. on our Disneyland theme? Oh, yes. <laughs> so a few years ago, I went to Disney World. Mm. So the Magic Kingdom of Disney World with a good friend of mine. And she wanted to go on It's a Small World. And I, as I've mentioned earlier, love It's a Small World, but not the ride itself. I mean, let's just be honest. It's monotonous. and But there's just something magical about It's a Small World at Disneyland. So I was looking forward to seeing it at Disney World. Very different. It's a small, small world at Disney World. It's just this tiny little ride like Snow White's scary adventure. It's well, I mean, when you have something so miserable as that, and <laughs> your experience in one theme park tells you that it's the most hated thing, of course you would try to minimize that, just like most humans would try to minimize suffering as much as possible. So those, those of our listeners who have been to the Magic Kingdom in Disney World... I just want you to know that It's a Small World is not small at Disneyland. Yes, well, hopefully it'll become extinct. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, we do that, though. We, we immediately compare things. Right. We say, oh, this is kind of like that. Oh, this place is kind of like this other place I've been. Oh, that story reminds me of mm. this other story. So what's interesting about comparison is that when you have a comparison – it allows you to understand both things a little better. This, of course, we see in the great literature of all time, kind of the mother of all figures of thought, uh, of tropes, is metaphor and simile, mm -hmm. right? So we have these metaphors that say this is that, mm -hmm. or a simile that says this is like that, or this does as that does. And in experiencing that metaphor or simile, we understand the nature of both better. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he's using the metaphor so that we, the listeners, can understand the relationship that he's trying to teach us. Mm -hmm. When we're reading a book that has an excellent simile or metaphor, it paints a little picture in our mind that is different from what it's being compared to but because of that, we then understand that thing we're looking at, we're hearing, we're imagining better if it's a good similar metaphor. Sometimes if it's not a good one, it can be <laughs> a little distracting. And we think, you know, what was that all about? <clears throat> I remember you bringing to me, and I actually read these ridiculous metaphors in our advanced Spelling and vocabulary course is just kind of like a little interlude of humor. Yes, and we'll just we'll post some of those on our show. Well, and yeah. and if we do a podcast on humor oh, at yes. some point, we mm -hmm. could bring some of those in. Mm -hmm. But because uh, there's 
humor in absurdity. <laughs> yes. But that natural faculty mm-hmm. that we have, we can actually do it more intentionally. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, any two things can be compared. Uh, I remember recently I was teaching a class, and I said, well, compare sunshine and a water bottle, mm. you know, which seem like completely different things and sure. completely different physical manifestations. And one of the one of the students in the class said, well, both can come down on your head. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, uh, both can come down on your head. One you, not so pleasant, one okay, pleasant. Okay, well, now you're thinking about sunlight in an expanded way, perhaps, than you were. And you're thinking about water bottles in a way different than you previously were. And so, uh, you know, there could be any number of interesting examples of how comparing unlike things helps you see into it, to Mm. perceive, to apprehend, to understand, and then to communicate that understanding better. So in in our list of stylistic techniques, the third grouping is the decorations. Right. And we always have the simile and the metaphor as one of those things that we put on the checklist, require students to do. They then have to come up with a comparison that they make. It may be effective in writing. It may be a practice one. But in doing so, it gives them content and adds richness to their writing. So that's the second one. Great. Good. Comparison. The third one uh, here would be application. Okay. This is getting a little more specific about the questions. Would you say that when you, you, you started with division, comparison, and now application, are these getting more difficult or just? I think so, or mm-hmm. not necessarily more difficult, but more focused. I see. Okay. So if you start with who, what, where, why, when, how, right. that's a shotgun of questions <laughs> all over the place. Right. If you say, okay, what are the aspects of this thing? Now that's more focused. If you mm-hmm. say, what are these things like Mm -hmm. or similar to, that's more focused. Mm -hmm. So when we get to application, the question is um, to whom or in what circumstances does this have use, purpose, application? In other words, who cares? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a question we can get around. Yeah. Yeah. And and we use that all the time, sometimes in a cynical fashion. Yeah, well, who cares? Like, you can't make anything out of that because nobody's going to care. But then someone will answer you and say, well, so-and-so cares. Yeah. Oh, now that's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. So who cares? Uh, and why do they care? What What is the value of that to a person or a particular demographic or in a certain circumstance? And so now who cares about Disneyland, <laughs> right? Yeah, who cares and why do they care, or why should they care? Those are the heart of the questions that marketing people ask. Yes, that would be your job in <laughs> that part. Is, that is my to, job. To ask and answer some of those questions in terms of what do we have and who should care about it, and if they don't, how do we help them mm-hmm. start to care about it? And they would say sales is kind of a hurt and rescue operation anyway. Like, yes, you know, if if they feel that they are lacking. The pain of not having what we can offer them. The pain of not knowing how to teach your children to think. (laughs) Here we are, ready to rescue you from certain failure in other areas. Okay, I think that's enough for now. (laughs) Uh, But that that is a very interesting question because it opens up a a new door of how to think about something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're trying to write, I mean, even a simple thing. Let's say you're writing about your dog. So who has feelings or thoughts or 
who has an interest in mm-hmm. your dog. Now that's going to add content. That's going to add depth. That's going to add insight. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads in to the last one we can talk about today, which is significance. Okay. In other words, what's the value? What's the meaning? What's the impact? Uh, what are some of the causes? What are some of the effects? Um, what's the best thing about something, the worst thing about something? Uh, significance is actually the habit of asking some of those more philosophical questions or what we might call critical thinking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because a lot of people use this term critical thinking. In fact, we were at a convention not too long ago, and there was a book for sale that said, you know, developing critical thinking skills through writing or through composition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the lady selling the book was the owner of the company that had published it, or some little thing. And I remember asking her, so how would you define critical thinking? Great question. And there was a very long pause. And then she said, that's a good question. <laughs> I thought, okay, here's someone who's publishing and selling a book on something that they are not clearly able to define, especially from a marketing point of view, mm-hmm. right? You want to have the quick answer, right. and then you want to have the follow-up understanding. But you know, I think critical thinking is bandied about mm-hmm. maybe Absolutely. too broadly. Yeah, I right? would agree with so that. So what do we teach in this school? Well, critical thinking skills. Well, what is that? Crickets. Yeah. So if we consider what do critics do? Take a movie critic, for example. They kind of go through this whole process. The first thing they do is a division, an analysis. They say, well, okay, there's the plot, there's the costumes, there's the acting, there's the soundtrack, there's the special effects. You know, they divide it into those points. Mm -hmm. And then they'll take kind of some of those and talk about, okay, so. How does that thing impact the movie as a whole? How does, in other words, who cares? How, mm-hmm. how does that make a difference? Who cares about it? Then they'll come to, okay, putting it kind of all back together again. So what's the real value yes. of this movie? And then they'll give you a recommendation. Yes, definitely go see it. It's got these few little shortcomings, but it's worth your time and money. Or no, it's a piece of junk. Save your time, save your money. Don't worry. But rather than just giving you the recommendation, they go through the whole process so that you can see what their thinking was. That's what we probably call critical thinking to some degree. It's the critical process. And, of course, it implies value, right? Uh, With younger students, I won't talk about this per se and say, here, we're going to practice the skill of significance, but I will say, hey, on your list of questions, you've got who, what, where, why, when, how. How about these questions? What's the best thing about something? What's the worst thing about something? What's the value? What's the significance? Uh, what do you do with this information? That Those types of questions are harder, mm-hmm. but that's kind of gets to the crux of things, right? However, to say that something is good or bad, that this is the best or the worst, that this is of more value or of less value, that implies judgment. And so critical thinking implies judgment. Mm -hmm. However, you wouldn't get too far if you opened up a school and say, we teach critical thinking skills. Well, what's that? Judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because what's the motto of the young people today? Well, everyone is right. Yeah. Don't don't judge. Mm -hmm. Don't judge. Everything's of equal value. 
so that's tough because if we're going to write well, if we're going to have meaningful communication, then we have to get to that point where we are willing to say, this is right and that's not. This is right. This is good. This is true. This is beautiful. And to back it up with mm-hmm. all of those questions. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting because the significance question boils down to, so what? Once met an English teacher years and years ago. He said, I teach essay writing by the who cares, so what method. Oh, I love that. Right? Of course, <laughs> you teach in high school English. Yes. Right? So, all right, kids, who cares? And so what? Mm-hmm. So what? So what about that? So what about mm-hmm. that? So what about that? You, he said you could just string out a whole essay just by asking those questions. Who cares and so what? I'm guessing that he probably knew what he was doing mm-hmm. or he stumbled into it because it is common sense or somewhere there was a connection between the ancient common topics of Aristotle and the rhetoric training exercises and the questions that we still ask today in daily conversation. And I might see Maria here and say, well, who cares about that? And she'd say, well, I do. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, why? So what? <laughs> and so then we get into the content. You know, So it's, it's fascinating. There's really nothing terribly new under the sun, but it is fun to kind of rediscover and then transfer to people some tools that will allow them hopefully better thinking, consequently better reading, better writing, better conversation, a a richer, better intellectual life. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.